Matthew chapter 14. Father, we thank you today for the Word of God. I'm asking you today for fresh revelation to rise up big on the inside of us today, Father. Father, this whole thing is about one person, that's Jesus Christ. It's not about any person, it's not about any other person other than Jesus Christ. And today, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to give us supernatural eyes-opening understanding regarding what the price that He paid for us because of His great love, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Over in uh, Matthew chapter 14, we'll look at verse 25. And uh, I want to review just a little bit that we shared last week and then we'll launch into some, I cannot wait to get into what he shared with me. I had to change some things this morning. I got up early and said, there's some other things the Lord gave me in the middle of the night last night that... that uh, I think it's really, I know it's really, really going to help us. Amen. You know, the longer I serve the Lord, I've been serving the Lord since 1976. That's when I received the Lord. And spiritual things never grow old. And the more you begin to understand about the Lord, the more you want to know. I mean, it's just, that's the only way I could describe it. And I'm so thankful and so appreciative of the price that Jesus Christ paid for us. And we'll see one of those areas today, I think, that maybe we haven't seen before. Now, in Matthew chapter 14, look at verse 25. And it says right here, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, now we didn't read the whole chapter because of time here, but remember Jesus commissioned them to go in the boat to go to the other side. Okay. So he went up to have a prayer night session with the Lord. And it says, he came to them walking on the sea, verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit or a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Most people probably would. It's not every day you see that. In fact, that's the first time they ever saw that. Amen. Now, these are, these are prior to Jesus calling them into the ministry, these are fishermen by trade. Amen. And it says, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear in verse 27. And straightway Jesus spake unto them saying, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. I love that. In other words, get happy. Don't be afraid. Hallelujah. That's the way God, when God shows up in your life, he always comes with do not fear, get happy. Amen. That went over real well. Amen. And he says, uh, be of good cheer. Verse 20, it says, And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come to thee on the water. Now, what's, what's Jesus going to say? Well, it's not me. Peter put himself in this situation right here. <laughs> All right? He didn't even, Jesus didn't ask Peter to come. Peter put him in a situation. He said, Lord, if it's you, then bid me to come on the water. All right? Verse 29, Jesus said one word, come. And Peter was come down out of the ship. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now let's just stop right there for a minute. The Word of God empowered Peter to step out on the water. Just like the Word of God empowered the disciples to get in. He says, I'll meet you on the other side. Okay? When God says something to you by His Word or by His Spirit, that is an empowerment to do the very thing that he told you to do. Are you with me now? And we have, we have to remember that, praise God. 
In verse 30, and when he saw, Peter saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried out and said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, said, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? Praise the Lord. Now we brought out this fact last week, and I'll say it again, that Peter fell short. Now we thank God that he actually, a man stepped out on the water and began to walk to Jesus. He did that, didn't he? A lot of people just focus on the fact that he sank, but he walked on the water. <laughs> All the other disciples are back in the boat. They're safe, playing it safe, right? Peter missed God's ultimate best in this situation because he began to sink. And the reason he began to seek is found in verse 30. Let's look at that again, Matthew 14, verse 30. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever been in that situation before you feel like you're sinking? Do you ever feel like your emotions are sinking? Am I the only one? Okay. Thank God we can cry out to the Lord and say, Father, I need your help and I need your mercy right now. Because had it not been for God's love and his mercy, even when we did the wrong thing, thinking we're doing the right thing, you know, God's not going to kick you down and leave you down there. He's going to reach down and pull you back up. Hallelujah. But notice, notice that uh, the phrase in verse 31, it says, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? I want you to notice that phrase, wherefore did thou doubt? I guess we could come to this conclusion that doubt caused Peter to come up short of, the, of God's or Jesus' best in this situation. The best situation was that he walked to Jesus and then come walking back to the boat, not even get wet. That was, that was Jesus' best. But see, when he started to yield to what he saw, the wind boisterous. In other words, you don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. You can see leaves and stuff blowing and waves are created by wind. Okay, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of it. And so it is with you and I. When we get our eyes upon the natural and keep our eyes focused on the natural, we have a tendency to sink in our faith because of what we're seeing. The scripture even tells us in Lamentations that mine eye affecteth mine heart. What you look at will affect the condition of your heart. That's why the Bible says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. The Word of God is eternal. Amen? How can you walk by not what you see? We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by the Word of God. Peter was actually not walking on the water. He was walking on the Word that elevated him above the circumstance. Amen? Now, we're talking about here today... Part two about being redeemed from doubt and fear. Being redeemed from doubt and fear. Doubt and fear are one of the biggest robbers in the church world today. They are demon spirits. Doubt and fear run hand in hand. Doubt, fear, and unbelief. And all of us, if we're honest, we've had to deal with that. We've had to deal with doubts and fears. You're praying for somebody. You're praying for a daughter. You're praying for a son. You're praying for a husband or whatever the case may be. And, uh, and all of a sudden you get this doubt thought that comes to say, do you think God heard your prayer? All right? 
I don't know a person that isn't dealing with that at some point. That's right. And the devil, the devil is the spirit of doubt, fear, and unbelief. How many of you know that? When he shows up, when the devil shows up, he comes with doubt and fear and unbelief. Hallelujah. But he said, uh, when he saw the wind boisterous, he began to sink. But thank God in his mercy, Jesus lifted him up. Now let's go real quickly here. We've got to move quicker here. But in Hebrews chapter 4, let's go over to Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to connect what we just read about Peter to these verses right here. A little bit, a couple of verses here in the book of Hebrews. Now when Peter saw the wind boisterous, he began to sink. Do you know you can never determine, the, my spiritual father, Kenneth E. Hagin, said you can never determine the will of God by outward circumstances. Never. Never. He said you can never determine the will of God by outward circumstances. Amen? If that were the case, then the devil would be controlling the body of Christ. If that were the case, Paul the Apostle would have missed it every single time. Because how many of you know, he went through some rough places. You can read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There's a whole list of things that he went through, you know. And he was right smack dab, as they say, in the middle of the will of God. Yet all hell was breaking loose around him. Shipwrecked, snake bit, left for dead, stoned, you know. Rocks were thrown at him, you know what I'm saying? I mean, beat with rods, you know. I mean, there, any one of those things would whip most people right there, you know what I'm saying? But he, would, he was just like one of those, like when I was a kid, we had one of these, like, these blow-up things, you know. I don't know if they still have it. It had sand at the bottom, you know. And I, yeah, my, my parents, but this was this goofy-looking clown. And, um, you know, you just wanted to nap. It was, you're supposed to hit the thing, right? So you, as hard as you would hit that thing, remember as a little kid, it would go down and bounce right back up, had that goofy grin on his face. No matter how hard you hit it, it would come right back up. That's the way we ought to be when the devil comes against us. He ought to be sorry that he even messed with us. Amen? So you can never determine the will of God by outward circumstances. You have to determine it by the Word of God and the Holy Ghost. Are you with me now? Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, it says, this is referring to the Israelites when they were given the promise through Moses by God to go and possess the promised land in Numbers chapter 13 that I've already given you. Okay? And he says, this is referring to that. He said, let us therefore fear or have respect, lest a promise being left us of entering into rest. If any of you should come, seem to come short of it. Now, underline those words, if any of you should seem to come short of it. Did Peter come short of his miracle, the fullness? Yes. He came short of God's best. Now, he did walk on the water, but he, he didn't, it wasn't consummate. The whole entire plan of God didn't come out in that situation because he got his eyes and he got into unbelief and he began to sink. Now, nobody, I said this last week, nobody, if you jump off a diving board, nobody begins to sink. You done sunk. I know that's bad English. Anytime I've jumped off anything, and there's always water beneath it, right? <laughs> but uh, you don't begin to sink. You're sunk like that. 
But that's what Peter just gradually went down, went down. All right? And he says, he says, uh, uh, let us fear or have respect of the promise being left us of entering into rest, lest we should come short of verse 2. For unto us was the gospel or good news preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now I want you to underline that right there. The word of God was preached to them, but they didn't mix faith with it and it didn't profit them anything. You see, one of, the re- one of the ways that you'll know that whether you have faith or not is when you hear the Word of God, does it make you sad or glad? Amen? And we have to train ourselves to start thinking differently that when we hear God's Word, I'm saying, wait a second. When I open my Bible here, this is God talking to me. <laughs> this is God talking to me. I want to hear what he has to say. My antenna goes up, so to speak. You know what I mean? I'm ready. Why? Because he said they couldn't enter in because of unbelief. And you know the whole story about Joshua and Caleb. The 12 spies went up and they came back. Ten of them came back with an evil report of unbelief. And they said there's giants in the land. Let me tell you something. There's enough people out there to discourage you. Don't listen to the naysayers. Or the doom and gloom people. Amen. If God told you to do something, you can do it. Hallelujah. You can do it. Just make sure you're hearing from Him. <laughs> Don't come up with your own idea. Make sure you're hearing from Him first. All right. But He says the gospel was preached as well, but they didn't mix faith with it in them that heard it. But we which have verse verse three says we which have believed do enter into rest. All right. Now. Look at verse 6. Jump down to verse 6. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, that they whom it was first preached entered not because of unbelief. Now you know the story, like I said, the 12 spies. There was 12 tribes in Israel and a head for each one of those tribes. God instructed Moses to send up 12 of the heads of those tribes, spy out the land for 40 days and 40 nights, and come back, and they brought back proof of the fruit of and the, the prosperity in the land that flows with milk and honey. And they brought back evidence to the rest of the crew. And they said, my God, I'm paraphrasing, this is the land that's just amazing. We've never seen. They say the, the grapes clusters were as big as softballs. There was such fruitfulness. There was such increase in that, that part that God wanted them to inhabit. However, there's one problem. Twelve spies came back. Twelve came back, but ten of them came back with an evil report of unbelief. They said, we, we see it, we see the, the, the prosperity here, but here's the problem. There's giants in the land. And we are in our own sight like grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. But Joshua and Caleb, two out of twelve, stopped them, shut them up. He says, look, we are well able to go up and possess the land. Now you would have thought that the rest of the ten the leaders would have got jumped on board and said, yeah, you know, you're right. But the Bible says they became so angry they wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. People get upset in the Old Testament, especially even in the New Testament. The first thing they want to do is grab some rocks. They did that with David too. Remember that? Did that with Jesus. Wanted to throw him over a cliff. And there's no shortage of rocks over in that part of the country. How many of you know that? Well, to make a long story real short... 
Who got into the promised land? Joshua and Caleb and those 20 years and younger underneath them, under, underneath their authority. Came into the promised land. They were the minority, but they came in and they possessed the promised land. Glory to God. And I was thinking about this last week and something rose up in my heart that, you know, people look at this like a history lesson. Like, yeah, they checked out the land. They looked at the land. What about our promised land in the New Testament? And the Lord, the Holy Spirit quickened my spirit and he said, your promised land is the scriptures. Hey, Jesus, or God told them, he said, everywhere that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I've given you. And it was interesting. I, I love biblical archaeology. Because it proves what the Bible already says anyway. And over in that part of the country, over in Saudi Arabia, over in that, that, there's stones that are 4,000, 3,500 years old. And there's footprints, sandal prints that they etched on all these. And it's, it's, there's thousands of them all around over there. Because he said, everywhere the sole of your foot shall tread, I've given it to you. Amen? Well, how do we do that in the New Testament? We possess our lands. We get our eyes on the scriptures. That's our promised land. And we possess it with the words of our mouth. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread. Well, I tell you what, every place that your tongue treads with the word of God, you can have it. Amen. Am I preaching any believers here today? Say, I believe. Therefore, I speak. That's what the Bible says. I believed, therefore I speak. We believe, therefore we speak. Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written. I believe, therefore have I spoken. We believe, therefore, and we speak. Hallelujah. You always speak what you believe, whether it's good or bad. Amen. Especially if bad news comes your way. Have you found yourself opening up your mouth and saying things you ought not say? We've all been there and done that. But let me tell you something. We can change the course of direction. And he says that they failed to enter in because of unbelief. Now, real quickly, go over to Mark chapter 6 again. Oh, this is so good. Where do we get into this here? We are redeemed from doubt and fear and unbelief. I want you to say this. I am redeemed, I am redeemed from, doubt, from doubt, from fear, from fear and unbelief. unbelief. Now, I'm going to prove that to you from the Word of God this morning. We're going a little deeper than we did last week. We know the whole situation here in uh, Mark chapter 6. And let's pick up in verse 1. It says, And he went out from thence and came unto his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he was began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, from whence hath this man these things, and what wisdom is that which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judah, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us also? And they were offended at him. Now Jesus did have other brothers and sisters. He was the firstborn, okay? And his father was God. His father was not Joseph. The other brothers and sisters, their mother and father was Joseph and Mary. You understand that? <laughs> okay. And uh, it says that, uh, is not this the carpenter's son? Now let's read on here. And verse 4 says, And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, among his own kin, and among his own house. 
And he could there, not would there, he could there, do no mighty work. Oh, is that sad? Save he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about their villages teaching. Have you ever read this scripture before? We've heard this before, haven't we? But Jesus came, and that's why sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's difficult to minister to family members. Have you found that to be true sometimes? You try to talk to you, and you're just, that's just Keith, man. I knew you when you were this big. You know what I'm saying? I knew the trouble you got in when you were that small too, and whatever, you know. And, uh, and sometimes people tend to see you after just the natural, and they don't see the gift of God that's on the inside of you. But folks, we need to look for the gift of God on the inside of each other. Every, one of them, every person in this room, including Levi and Liam, have a gift of God on the inside of them. They might be chronologically younger, but they've got a gift of God on the inside of them. And there's something that we can receive from them too. Are you with me? So many times we look at the, the shell that something comes in and we don't realize it may not come in the package that we think. You know, they even said that about Jesus. He said, He hath no form or comeliness that we should desire of Him. You know, in Isaiah 53. In other words, that's not the package that we were looking for. And that's how they, Israel missed the Messiah. A good majority of them missed the Messiah. Because they're thinking He's going to come the first time as King of kings and Lord of lords and set up His tabernacle, set up His kingdom and rule and reign and so forth. Now He will... But the first time Jesus came, he didn't come as, as the King of kings and Lord of lords riding on a white horse. He came as a suffering servant. And they missed those prophecies. I don't know how they could, but Isaiah was so, so plain as day about the prophecies about Jesus coming. Amen? It's just a man. Jeremiah as well. And Ezekiel. But notice it says he could there, in verse 5, he could there do no mighty works. In other words, the Greek actually says that he could only heal people with minor ailments. So we know this, that blind eyes is, is not a minor ailment. There was nobody with blind eyes being healed. Deafness wasn't being healed. Lame people were not being healed. Just minor ailments. And it says Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Think about that. Now we'll go to the next town and all of a sudden miracles just break out. Glory be to God. I'm telling you. You see, you know, your expectation of God, and that's why I say sometimes when you go to a meeting, you come to church or you go to any meeting, we need to come and draw on the gift of God. We don't want to just come and just plop on the seat. When I, myself and Lynn, and we go to a meeting, we're going to hear a minister, you know, the ones that we, the God has ordained that we sit under. We go with an expectation, we go with a hunger, and we put a demand on the gift of God. We say, Father, whatever we need to hear, we open our spirits up right now. And well, I can't tell you how many times time would not even permit how that sometimes they'll come over, sometimes Brother Hagin would come in his meeting, he would come over and stand right next to me, just from here to that chair. He didn't know it. I knew it. The Lord knew it. And he would say some things. Brother Copeland, the same thing. He would, they would say some things by the Spirit of God. That I'm like, that's what I need right there. 
There was one time there was a situation I was dealing with, and it was very a personal situation. Brother Copeland came down, stood next to me, and addressed the very thing. He was like he was preaching right to me. Now, folks, most of the time they're not even aware of it. Most of the time when we take these, when we take these rabbit trails, we're not even sure half of the time who we're even talking to. We just feel led of the Lord to say something inspired by the Lord. But what's, what's the Lord doing? He's trying to reach people where they're at because He loves you, because He cares for you. He wants to help you. Amen? And that's why it's so important to be led by the Holy Ghost and not by just tradition of man but to be led by the Spirit of God because people's lives are upon the line. And your words could make all the difference in their life. Now you go to Psalm, real quickly, in Psalm 78. In Psalm 78. So we can see here a pattern here that they, Jesus could there in his own hometown do no, he didn't say he wouldn't, he couldn't. They limited Jesus' miracle ministry in his hometown. And I, I just encourage you whenever you come to church or wherever you go to hear God's word, if you put a teaching tape on, man, you say, Father, I'm going to receive everything I possibly can. I'm going to milk it dry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I want everything that God has for me. Your hunger and your thirst that you have for God will determine everything that you're able to receive from him. I want to stay hungry and thirsty all the days of my life. How about you? I'm telling you, I want to, Pastor Keith, I want him to be said of me that I'm the most hungry and thirsty person for God. Thank you, Lord, because if I stay hungry and I stay thirsty, I will be filled. Now, in Psalm 78, verse 40, it says, talking about Israel, it says, How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Now, look at verse 41. Last, now, last week we read more verses of this, but because of time. It says, verse 41, Yea, they turned back, that's Israel, tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, did they, is it possible to limit God? Well, of course it is. Did they limit God? Did they limit Jesus' ministry in His hometown? Yes. Yeah. It's not a trick question. But they, they limited Jesus' ministry in his hometown. Why? Because they saw him after the flesh only. Boy, that's so important. You know, we've got we to gotta train ourselves to not be so geared by what someone looks like, what they dress like. Some people can get so distracted on any little thing and you miss what God's trying to do. Amen? I knew people that were offended at Catherine Coleman, who had one of the greatest miracle ministries ever in the world, right here in Pittsburgh, you know, and people get hung up about the way she talked, the way she dressed. I'm like, dog, God, I don't care if she comes out in camel's hair. I don't care. If she comes out and delivers the goods and the power of God, that's all that matters. Amen. Amen. It says they turned back, tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now go to, real quickly here, I'm building a case here. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 66, we are redeemed from fear and from doubt and unbelief. Praise God. I feel like we need a good dose of this. I feel like our body needs, everybody needs a good dose of faith. Amen. 
And to make sure we get unbelief out of our life, doubt, fear. Now in Deuteronomy 28, we know, we recognize that this chapter is the curse of the law and the blessings of the law. It's split in half. You know what I'm saying? When the Bible says in Galatians 3.13 that Christ redeemed us from the what? The curse of the law. Where is that found? Right here in Deuteronomy 28. Now the curse of the law is basically threefold. That's the way I've heard it preached. It's poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. Poverty, poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. But there's also a host of other things that are not heading, so to speak. But here's one of them right here. This is a curse in verse 66. You know Lemieux's number. Deuteronomy 28, verse 66. And thy life shall hang before thee. Notice he says, thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night. And thou shalt have no assurance of thy life. Whoa, that's a curse right there, amen. In the morning you would say, would to God that we're evening. And in the the evening you would say, would to God that it were morning. Can you see dread here? For the fear of thine heart, wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes, which thou shalt see. In other words, this is a person that says, I wish it were Tuesday when it's Wednesday. Dread. Oh. But notice it says right here, your life will hang in doubt before you, and you shall fear day and night. Help me to say this, Lord, the right way. When you experience abnormal for a length of time in your life, you can begin to think that that is normal when it's really abnormal. If you were raised in a fear-filled atmosphere and yielded to fear and your parents yielded to fear, whatever the case may be, you know, um, or it could be anything, that sometimes we, we take on that mindset, right? And we begin to think, that must be the norm. I wake up afraid, I go to bed afraid. During lunchtime, I'm afraid. Folks, that is not normal. How many of you know that? Right? He says right here that your life will hang in doubt. Did doubt make Peter sink? Everybody say, yeah. Made him sink. Then doubt will make you and me sink too. It'll make us come up short. That's why it says in Hebrews, lest we come up short, lest we fall short. We don't want to fall short because of what? Doubt. We don't want fear and doubt to hold us back. And sometimes, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like these horse races. Did you see the horse race yesterday? Justify, I love that name. Did you see the jockey giving glory to God again for the third time? Spirit-filled believer, loves God, giving glory to God. I thought, oh, that's awesome. That's the only horse I know ever rooting for, you know what I mean? I didn't put any money down on it, I'm not saying that, but I, I said, you know, there's something there. Triple crown winner. Amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus. But, you know, a lot of these horses, they put these, these little cups on their eyes. You ever see that? You say, what in the world is that for? Blinders, they call them. Well, these, these things that they put on horses' eyes on the side of their eyes is so that they are able to keep their focus on what's only ahead or not one what's on the right and not what's on the left. I thought, you know, I need to buy a bunch of those and bring them into church and get and pass them out. Everybody say distractions. 
It's so easy to become distracted by what you don't see or by what you do see. You can look at your bank account and say, oh my God, I'm distracted. You can look at your kid and say, my, 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 I'm distracted. Amen? Your body can say, oh God. You know what I mean? You're, those things have a voice. Amen? But doubt and fear are a curse and it doesn't belong to you. Sometimes, you know what, you just need to talk out loud. You know, the Holy Ghost said this to me the other day. I'll, I'll tell you what, <laughs> I think there's a book coming out of this. That I heard this, I was praying in the Spirit, praying in other tongues, and out of my spirit, I said this after about an hour. I said, Jesus whipped the devil with a scripture. Jesus whipped the devil with a scripture, and so can you and me. Jesus said, it is written, boom, defeated the devil. Here comes another temptation. Jesus says, it is written, boom. He whipped the devil with a scripture. Yeah, but Pastor Keith, that's Jesus. He can do that. No, no, no. Listen, he was teaching us how to operate in this life. We can say it is written. He's given us a mouth to say it is written. And I'll tell you what, when you say it is written, that's the word of God. It's as if Jesus was standing there in your place speaking through you. Hallelujah. That gets me so excited. Amen. When that pain hits your body and comes against you, get you a scripture and say, it is written by his stripes, I am healed. And what's the devil do? He goes away. A lot quicker than that. <laughs> resist the devil. And if James, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? You resist him the same way Jesus did with the word of God. That's why we need some word on the inside of us. If we're not, there's no word on the inside of us, we can't say it is written. You'll say, well, there's something there somewhere, but I'm not sure where it is. But see, that's the Holy Spirit's job to help bring all things to our remembrance. Yes. Yes. When Jesus was faced with awful temptation in the Gospels, he didn't stop and say, I know there's a scripture somewhere. It would have been too late. He was already full of the word of God. He had meditated upon the Word of God in the Scriptures. And when the devil came, the Holy Ghost in him said, bring up a Scripture, that's what you need, speak it out right now. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Spirit of God will do that. Amen. You're hearing Scriptures today, you might think, well, I don't need that Scripture, but there, there will come a time where you might need a Scripture that was said maybe three months before you heard it. And when the time of need comes, the Spirit of God will rise up and speak through you and say, no, it is written in Jesus' name. So we see from Deuteronomy chapter 28 that, the, uh, uh, that doubt and your life hanging in fear and doubt before you day and night is an absolute curse. It doesn't belong to you or me. Amen. So I'll, I'll look at that and I'll say, you know, I am redeemed. Mom's saying that go to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. If I'm tempted to have doubt, fear, and unbelief, which all of us are, I'll say out loud, I'm beginning to do this more and more, I refuse to be afraid, I refuse to doubt, and I refuse to fear. I am redeemed from these things. I'm telling you, Jesus didn't just save you from your sins. That's huge. That's masterful. That's wonderful. But he paid an awesome price for you to walk in victory, to walk in health, 
to walk in a soundness of mind. Not just to have your sins forgiven. That's the biggest part of it, right? But there's a whole host of other things that He's provided for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm redeemed. Now notice in Isaiah 50, 43, verse 1, it says, But thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. Notice this. Fear not. Fear not. Why? For I have redeemed thee. I've called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Now, how many of you know God knows your name? When the Lord has talked to me, I've never heard him say, hey, you. He'll say, Keith. Amen. And that's consistent throughout the New Testament even. You read, you know, there's a man by the name of so-and-so. He's down at the the seashore at this house. Go down there. Here's his address. Here's his name. Remember that? With Ananias and Paul, Saul. Right? He told the same thing with with, uh, Cornelius and Peter. Remember that? Praise God. And he says, verse 2, he says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When thou walk through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Now that's a pretty awesome scripture right there, isn't it? I heard of a a testimony one time of of a guy that was actually on an airplane. To make a long story short, the plane crashed on the ground. And uh, there was a big ball of fire that started up where the the cabin was, where the the pilots were. And uh, this ball of fire just just came right back and it, it didn't touch him. Didn't touch him. Now, of course, fear would be involved in something like that, right? He says, when you walk through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they'll not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. I guess Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed that. Because they were thrown into the fiery furnace and they weren't, not even the smell of smoke was on them. Think about that. Not a hair on their head was even singed. There was no evidence, think about this, there was no evidence that they were even in the flame fire furnace. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been around some campfires before. And not even realizing that that smell gets on you and you go into someone else's house and say, man, you've been around some fire. It's on your clothes. It's on your body. You know what I'm saying? They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. That's our God. But notice it says, fear not, I have redeemed you. So in other words, we have a, our redemption is we don't have to fear. We are redeemed from fear. We're redeemed from fear. Now, and I wrap this up here. Go to Mark chapter 4. You'll see how this all ties together here today. Praise God. We are redeemed from doubt, fear, and unbelief. We see that fear and doubt is a curse in Deuteronomy 28. We see in Isaiah 43... He says, fear thou not, I have redeemed thee. Fear thou not, I have redeemed you. We don't have to fear, why? Because God's redeemed us. Amen? Now, in Mark chapter 4, we, we call this, the, this is Jesus, what he was talking about, the parable of the sower. Now, here's what I, I want to get into the area of the mind. We'll finish this up here today. I want to get into how doubt starts in the mind. 
starts in your thinking and your soul. Okay? The, the battlefield is always in the mind. Somebody wrote a book about that, Battlefield of the Mind. Joyce Meyer, right? And it's true, the battle that you and I face starts up here in our thinking, how we think. And how we think will determine how things are really going to go. Now, you may not think that you have control over your mind, but you do. I do have control. Now, I might have thoughts come against me any more than anybody else here. Bad thoughts can come against anybody. But I like what my brother, Brother Hagin, my spiritual father, said this. He says, you know, you can't keep birds from flying over your head. You can't keep bad thoughts from coming to you any more than you can keep birds from flying over your head. But you do have authority whether they're going to build a nest in your hair. Right? And so I like that illustration because all of us, you ever had a bird fly over your head? Maybe drop something on you? <laughs> Amen. I went to the zoo one time when I was a kid. It was one of my first times at a zoo. And uh, it was in the Pittsburgh Zoo, actually. And, uh, and this, is, this is back in the 60s. I want to say around 67. I was probably about seven years old at the time. And my parents were showing us the lions and the tigers and the bears, all the big stuff, you know what I mean? Wanted to see all that. And we saw this big old... Now, back, back then, they, they just kept them in cages. They didn't let them run out in a big field. It's kind of cruel, isn't it? And this big, long-haired male lion was... was uh, we were just looking at it like, look at this thing, the size of this, the immensity of this lion. And all of a sudden, this lion turns around, and he decides to let loose on everybody there. You know what I'm saying? He urinated on everybody, and it sprayed, I mean, all over. Everybody was baptized in lion's urine, all, I mean, to tell you, and I'll never forget that. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but it came from somewhere. <laughs> you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you do have authority whether they're going to build a nest in your hair. Right? So, Thoughts can come, bad thoughts can come your way. You might be sitting here right now and bad thoughts are hitting you in church. Well, that's no surprise because the, the devil wants to distract you, get you thinking about something else that's more, seemingly more important right now. The most important place you could be is right here, right now. Okay? But notice here in the book of Mark, chapter 4, and I want, I want you to see this. This is so important here. The sower, verse 14, the sower soweth, the word. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown. When they have heard, Satan comes immediately to take away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are likewise which are sown on, on stony ground. When they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves, but so endure for a time. Afterward, <coughs> notice this, when affliction or persecution arise for the word's sake. Why does that arise? For the word's sake. Immediately they become Offended. Do you see how the devil will use people to offend you? Okay. Now, I want you to see, this is what I want you to see here in verse 18. And these are they that are sown among thorns. Say thorns. Now, I want to focus on this. These are they that are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. These all heard the word. Notice this. The cares of this world. 
and the lust and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Now I want to focus primarily right here. Now this is, Jesus has given us an open book test how the devil comes, how he, his tactics, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things, cares of this life, affliction, persecution, pressure to be put on us to get us to back off the Word of God. When my wife was first saved in her household, there was a time back in those days in the, in the 70s when her whole entire, she came from what, seven brothers and sisters all together, and uh, she had, there was a lot of persecution back, back then. When she first got saved and they were talking about her, talking ugly about her, you know. And, but you know, any one of us could back off when people start doing that. I'm so thankful that she decided to not be moved by that and to press in and serve God all the more. Amen? And I had the same thing in my household too. My parents, I was saved before my parents were. And when they found out that there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain, <laughs> and that they had been wrong in their Methodist church growing up, I mean, all hell broke loose for a season. Okay? I'll not get into that. But I want you to notice right here that these are sown among thorns when they hear the word of God, the cares of this world enter in and they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Everybody say thorny ground. Now I'm going to read a scripture to you here. In Genesis, you can just refer to this, write it down here. But thorns are a curse. Thistles are a curse. And they did, in fact, they did not exist upon the earth until Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God. Now I want to show you how this ties in with the mind here. In Genesis 3 verse 18 says, Adam, after he had sinned, God said, Thorns and thistles shall you bring forth unto thee, and you shall eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou hast been taken, for dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. Now, have you ever had thorns in your yard or thistles in your yard? You didn't go out there and plant them. They just decided to show up, right? It's amazing how you can clear a patch of field off and you can go out there. It just looks like all dirt and you plant good stuff and all of a sudden weeds start coming up. Thorns and thistles start coming up. That's a curse, okay? And Jesus said, when you hear the word of God on this type of ground, on thorny ground, he said, it's the cares of this life that choke the word of God. Thorny ground, cares of this world, affect the mind. They affect the mind. Okay? Now go over here. I want to show you this here because we're going to see here this amazing price that Jesus paid so that we could be free from care and worry. I mean, we're redeemed from this. But in Matthew chapter 27, if you'll go over there with me. Now remember that thorns are the cares. Jesus said thorny ground is the cares of this world that choke the word of God in our lives. Now Matthew chapter 27, this is the, you know, the crucifixion of right before Jesus was crucified. And verse 27, And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. 
and they stripped him and put him in a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of what? Thorns upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took a reed and smote him in the head. Now, I don't know if any of you here have ever seen what we call the Shroud of Turin. Has anybody here heard of the Shroud of Turin? I believe it's real. I believe it's authentic. Okay? The evidence is overwhelming that it's real and it's authentic. Basically, it's the first photo that ever existed in in human history. When Jesus was wrapped in a linen cloth that was 15 foot long, it wrapped around his head to his feet and back around and when, he was, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was like the, the resurrection power of God put an imprint supernaturally in that cloth that shows, and it, it made me weep when I saw it. I mean, it, just to see the detail of that linen cloth. And they've done research on it, studies on it, and so forth. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, there's no question about the fact that it's real. Okay. But what I didn't know is they showed, because the blood stains were still there, and the image, it's, just, it's perfect, and there's chunks of his beard that are missing right here. They pulled off his beard. But they put the crown of thorns, think about it, where? On his head. Okay? That's where your cares are. And those, those thorns were an inch long. And I have a friend that was just over in Israel recently, in the last few months. And he said, Keith, those bushes are still there, those thorn bushes up near Golgotha, right up there. They're still there, a bunch of them. They're still there. They're still growing there. And so what did they do? They mocked him and they made a crown of thorns and they pressed it on his skull. And you can see the blood marks all over his face from where the crown of thorns, when they, before they crucified him. Hallelujah. And I started to think about this because you'll find that even in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 22, I'll just refer to it, but you remember when uh, Abraham was offering up his son as a sacrifice, the Lord told him to offer up his son. Remember that? So he was going to be obedient, you know, and at the last minute there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. This is on the Mount Moriah, the same mountain that Jesus Christ was crucified on years later down the road. That ram is a type of Jesus Christ. He became the substitute. Okay? And that's why God said, or Abraham said, God shall provide himself a lamb. And he called that place Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And that ram became the substitute for Isaac. So he wasn't killed. He killed the ram. That ram is symbolic of Jesus Christ. His horns, which are on his head, were caught in a thicket. Okay? And a few thousand years later, Jesus, right before he hung on the cross, took a crown of thorns, platted it on his head, pressed it into his skull. Can you imagine the pain? Let on just one of those thorns pressing into your skull. Stop and think about that. My goodness. 
Now, I'm not saying that for any other reason to be gory or anything like that. I'm just saying what amazing the price that Jesus Christ paid for us. The thorns are symbolic of the cares of this world. When Jesus took those thorns on his head, in essence, he's saying, I took your cares so you wouldn't have to. Because the thorns in Mark chapter 4, the thorns of this, the thorny ground is what? The cares of this life. The deceitfulness of riches. What's the deceitfulness of riches? Thinking that money can make you happy. God is not opposed to you having money. In fact, He wants you to have money. But your happiness doesn't come from money. That's why the apostle said, I've learned to live with, I've learned to live without, I've learned to live independent of those circumstances. I can be content in every situation because I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So his dependency and his joy was not based on how much he had in the bank or so forth and so on. His joy and his dependency was, de- was uh, totally dependent on his walk with Jesus. Hallelujah. When Jesus received that crown of thorns upon his head, that is symbolic of Jesus taking all of your worries, all of your cares, all of your anxieties, all your fear, all your doubt. Your life doesn't have to hang in the balance anymore. You can have hope for your future. Praise God. Praise God. I don't know about you, this is the best news I've heard all day. Amen. Jesus took my care. Praise God. He became my substitute. And I'm so thankful. Jesus took my, he was my substitute. He took all my cares. He took it all. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. What a price. What a price you paid, Lord. What a tremendous price you paid for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, in Galatians 3, I'm just going to quote this because of time here. Christ hath, has, hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us. He redeemed me and you from the curse of the law. For what reason? That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. That's us. The blessing. Say the blessing. blessing. Now, I heard this in my spirit about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago, and I, I grabbed onto it, and I've been speaking it ever since. We're either cursed or we're blessed. Amen? And we have to remind ourselves that. I mean, if I'm not in Christ, I'm not blessed. I'm cursed. But if I'm in Christ, I am blessed. I'm blessed. We say, well, pastor, I don't feel like I'm really blessed right now. That's the problem. We feel. I don't feel like it. We're not looking at the right thing. We've got to look to the right thing. Jesus, now I heard this in my spirit. It almost shocked me when I heard it. He, he said, Keith, did I take all the curse or just some of it? I said, In my spirit, I said, well, you took all of it. He goes, that's right. I took 100% of the curse, didn't I? I said, yeah. He says, well, he says, to the degree that I took the curse is to the degree that you can take the blessing now. (laughs) I'm blessed. I'm blessed. 
Then it only gets better from there. All of a sudden, 2 Corinthians 5.21 came up in my heart, in my mind. And it says this. It says, For he, that's God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ, in him. And he asked me this question again. Not with these ears, but inside here. In my spirit. He said, Son, did I take all of your sins? I said, Yes, sir. He goes, That's right. I took 100% of your sin, didn't I? I said, yeah. He says, to the degree that I took your sin is to the same degree that you take my righteousness or right standing with God. Oh, I saw it in a different, I always knew, but I was righteous, but I saw it in a different light. To the degree that Jesus took my sin is to the same degree that I take his righteousness and right standing. And so I began to say what God says about me. Now, now I couldn't, if God hadn't have said it, I couldn't believe it. But because he said it, I can believe it. Listen to me. If God said it, you can believe it. If he said it, you can grab onto it. You can believe it. To the degree that Jesus became sin is to the same degree that I became the righteousness of God in Christ. Because I didn't work for it. I didn't earn it. I didn't do something to receive it. It's a gift. Romans 5.17 says righteousness is a gift. It has to be received. Right standing with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I, I said, almost with fear and trepidation, at first I said, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And I can see the Lord smile when you say that because you are saying about yourself what he's already said about you. Is it wrong for you to say something about yourself that God has already said about you? Of course not. Why, of course not. And it only gets better from there. Matthew eight seventeen. That it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. In 1 Peter 2.24, and with his stripes ye were healed. He said, son, did I take all of your sickness, disease, and pains? I said, yes, sir, you did. He said, well, you might say I took 100% of your sickness, disease, and pains so you could be healed. To the degree that Jesus took my sickness, my disease, and my pain is to the same degree that I receive his health and well-being in my life. The great substitute, Jesus. Did you know Jesus Christ was the most cursed man that ever walked this earth? Now, the Lord spoke that to me, and I was like, at first, I'm like, are you kidding me? He, he was the most cursed man that walked this earth because Jesus became the curse for the whole human race, past, present, and future. Why? So we could be blessed because of his love. See, the whole reason I'm made righteous and blessed and made whole is because he loves me and he loves you. When we don't understand how much the Father loves us, how much Jesus did for us, it's hard to receive that. Because we think we're in this works mentality. We've got to work for all these things. Listen, you don't have to work for your salvation. You just receive it. You don't even have to work for your healing. You just got to receive it. Now, there's labor involved as far as getting in the Scripture. That's easy. Labor as far as labor in the Word and doctrine. Like get into the Word of God. But see, himself... Matthew 8, 17, he's quoting Isaiah. He said, himself, Jesus, took 
our infirmities, bear our sicknesses. He took all of my sickness, disease, and pain. And so when you begin to identify with that, and you say, no, I'm not, I'm not the sick trying to get healed. I'm the healed that the devil's trying to make sick. It's easier to receive. I know from experience. I know from personal experience and working these principles. I get excited every time I do this. I go through this every single day. Oh, I thank you, Lord, you took this. And that, notice, here's one last thing. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he were rich, yet for your sake and my sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Folks, when Jesus left heaven, he became poor, as far as heavenly standards are concerned. I'm not going to try to figure that out, but 2 Corinthians 8 9 says that. He became poor so that you could become rich in this life. Rich is not a dirty word. There's some Christians that have made it a dirty word. Rich, what are you talking about? Well, you try to convince a Jew, you try to convince Abraham and all the other people in the Old Testament. They were what we call filthy rich. I don't know where that term comes from, but it's, not, it's clean rich. Because when God makes you rich, wealth and riches shall be in your house. In other words, a full supply. A full supply. Full supply. God wants you to have a full supply. Hallelujah. And so he said, son... This is the last one here. He said, did I take some of your poverty or did I take all of your poverty? I said, well, sir, I believe you took all. He goes, that's right. He goes, to the degree that I took your poverty is to the same degree that I take, you can take my wealth and riches in this life. I got to thinking about this thing about debt removal and debt cancellation, and that's God's will. But I saw it one day from a different perspective. And the Lord said, son, your sin was more than a national debt. In fact, all of us, it was. Our sin was so great. The Bible says if you've kept the whole commandments and you break one, it's like you committed the whole thing. You've broken them all. Here's the thing. We're all in that situation. We all come from that background. You say, brother, what's your background? Sin. All of us. And he said, Keith, he goes, your, your debt spiritually was so big it was bigger than the national debt I said wow I never thought of it that way he says now if I if I canceled your debt spiritually which he did he goes for your for your your natural debt to be dissolved is nothing in comparison and I began to see because sometimes we look at that well I owe how many years on this and this and I mean, you're looking down the road pretty far. You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh, God, that's going to take a lifetime to pay that off. But let me tell you something. There's something about supernatural debt cancellation. It already took place in your life spiritually when you made Jesus Christ your Lord. Your debt, your spiritual debt was bigger than the national debt. And so was mine. And Jesus came along and nailed it to the cross and said, you are free. You are debt free. Hallelujah. Spiritually, you're debt free. And so when you realize, when I began to realize that my spiritual debt was nailed to the cross, I could have never paid it back. I had 50 million jobs and worked 500 years. I still couldn't pay it back. 
But Jesus took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross and said, paid in full. I canceled your sin. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And when I began to realize that, that if he did that for me spiritually, then he can do that naturally too. That's why I believe in supernatural debt cancellation. Jubilee year. Did you know this is actually a jubilee year, 50th? In the year of Jubilee, everybody's debts were canceled. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank God for the price that he paid for us. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the price you paid for us, Lord. Those crown of thorns, Lord, that were laid on, pressed into Jesus' skull. And I didn't even know this till recently, Lord that you took our cares and worries and anxieties in our soul so that we could have peace. That all is going to be well. In fact, that's what the Lord, I believe, is saying today, that all shall be well. That's the word today. All will be well. The Father himself is taking care of you. He's a loving Father, a caring Father, like no other earthly father. I am your father, saith the Lord. I've bought you. I paid a dear price for you so that you could not only be forgiven from your sins, yes, that's important, but that you could have a clear, peaceful mind even here and now. So enter into, by faith, the rest and the peace that I have given you for your soul and for your mind and for your emotions. And then it'll be said, as I've said in my word, you'll possess the peace of God that passes understanding. So now, from this time forward, now that you see the price that I paid for your soul and the thorns that were placed upon my brow and upon my head, they are your cares, worries, and anxieties. So today, as you go forward from this place, you are free from all fear, all doubt, all unbelief. And now you have my peace, saith the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Everybody put your hands on your head like this. The Bible says, He anoints your head with oil, your cup runneth over. Father, I thank you for the anointing upon our brain, upon our thinking, upon our head. Our cup runneth over. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for your spirit to guard us and guide us and protect our mind, Father. This mind does not belong to the devil. It belongs to you, Lord. And we have the mind of Christ. In Jesus' name, I thank you for that, Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Will you enter into my rest, saith the Lord, since the revelation has come forth before you, an understanding of the mighty work that I've done. For you see, even in creation I labored six days, but on the seventh I rested because the work was done. Yes. Yes. So is it in the realm of the spirit. So is it 
In the realm of redemption, the work yes. has been done. Yes. So enter into the rest that I have provided for you. Yes. yes, there is a laboring, saith the Lord, and it comes through the renewing yes. of the mind. And when the mind's renewed, it comes in harmony with the heart. When it's in harmony with the heart, you can step forth into the things that I have done. And it's not of you, saith the Lord, it's of me. Yes. I've done this work, so enter in. Strive to enter into my rest, for it has been done and it has been completed, saith the Lord. Praise God. We receive that, Lord. We receive that, Lord, right now. Rest for the soul. Rest for the soul. Hallelujah. For more revelation shall come, huh? As my word is built within your soul. More revelation that will just upgird you and cause you to ride on the high places. The revelation of my glory. The revelation of my peace. The revelation of what I bought for yes. you. Yes. So walk in my revelation. Walk in my word and you'll see it lifts you to great places. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. I release peace, shalom, wholeness over everybody in this room right now. I release the peace of God to your soul, to your mind. Some of you have just been beat up in your soul for, the, for weeks on end, just beat up in your mind, just thoughts, bad thoughts, bad thoughts, negative thoughts. I free you from that right now in Jesus' name. And there's peace right now replacing that, replacing that. That was nothing more than tormenting doubts and fears that just came from Satan. You are redeemed from it right now in Jesus' name. You are redeemed from it in Jesus' name. You'll not back away from God. You'll not back away from Him. You'll press into Him all the more. He's got all the answers for you. Yeah, we plead the blood of Jesus Christ over our minds, our souls right now, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, something we just crossed over today, and I'll say this for the very first time. There's something that happened today in this meeting right now. We just stepped over into a higher realm 